0: I remember having that conversation with him, and I, I slid this proposal across the table and started getting into my whole spiel. He's like, I know, you want to move the tiny house here, and you want to look after the property. And let's do it. So He didn't even go to page one after all that hard work, but um, that was the first step.
1: Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 112 with Justin and Bianca Metz. Justin and Bianca live in a tiny house along with their toddler, Bodhi, and the journey to getting there was anything but easy. After their tiny house blew out a tire and spent the weekend on the side of the road in the greater Toronto area, they had to spend $7,000 to get it towed to their final location, and finding parking wasn't all that easy but they are now living as land stewards in trade for the parking spot that they found. And for Justin, this was ideal because he was already a wilderness canoe guide and had a great love for the natural world. Living tiny has enabled them to live more simply and live in more connection to nature. We cover a wide range of topics in this interview from permaculture to parenting to parking. So I hope you stick around. Are you fascinated by the tiny lifestyle but not sure if living in one is for you? Relax and let your tiny dreams run wild while you color 15 unique tiny homes inside and out. Coloring is a perfect activity for being stuck at home, especially after you've watched everything on Netflix. The Color Me Tiny coloring book includes a variety of tiny houses on wheels and the beautiful nature that surrounds them. The images all come from real photos that highlight the broad range of tiny house shapes and sizes. Each featured home also includes an interior scene to show what it's like to live in a tiny house day after day. So if you want to color a tiny Vardo on the beach, a cozy tiny house on wheels nestled in the snow, or several homes that feature their four-legged occupants, Color Me Tiny is for you. Color Me Tiny is on sale for just $9.99 and ships free via Amazon Prime. You can learn more at thetinyhouse.net slash color. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash color. All right, I am here with Justin and Bianca Metz. Justin and Bianca, along with their toddler Bodhi, Embarked on a life changing journey, moving into their 240 square foot tiny house on six acres of land in Ontario, Canada. Justin teaches at a land based adolescent Montessori school. However, it was his extensive experience as a wilderness canoe guide and love for the natural world that sparked their tiny journey. They wanted a simpler, slower life connected to nature and conscious of their eco footprint. Sustainable living is their ultimate goal, and Living Tiny serves this. Bianca is an entrepreneur, founder of The Giving Tree Family. As a simple living specialist and downsize expert, she coaches families on ways to live simple, sustainable lifestyles. Uh, Justin and Bianca Metz, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having
3: us. Thanks so much for having us,
0: Ethan. We're so psyched to be here.
1: Yeah, happy to have you on the show. So I'm curious if you could say a little bit more about, you know, your motivations for wanting to go tiny. Um, there are, of course, you know, a love for the wilderness and outdoors. There are so many different ways to live when you love the outdoors. So I'm curious, you know, why, why a tiny house? What was it that drew, drew you to tiny living?
3: Okay, that's me. So yeah, like you
0: said, Ethan, it was a combination of a number of things. And uh, first and foremost, we wanted a stronger connection to the land. Um, wanted a more simple lifestyle and more financial freedom. Um, so in a nutshell, my personal journey began when I worked as, as you said, a, a canoe tripping guide. I led canoe trips all over northern Ontario for a number of years. I was gone for weeks and weeks at a, at a time. And I was always fascinated with how I could last for weeks and weeks at a, at a time with only what I carried on my back. And that kind of sparked this whole um, simple kind of sustainable lifestyle. And then you don't really need much in order to survive as long as you have fresh food, fresh water, and, and shelter. And life is very simple. And, and canoe tripping really brought out that mindset in me. just the simplicity of, of life. So that was fully in, in embedded in me and in my psyche for a long time. And, of course, Bianca always supported that. And we took our own trips. Once we, once we met, we went on a, a number of canoe trips and she started to get into that same mentality, that um, that minimalist lifestyle. So that's where it kind of sparked. Um, and as we got older, we got engaged, we got married, we moved into a condo, a very expensive condo for just nine hundred square feet. And we had our first son, Bodhi, and we really started struggling to make ends meet. We were really stretching ourselves out thin. We didn't have... Uh, a piece of property, even though we paid property taxes, which was crazy. And you know what? It was as simple as just one day we both kind of, not snapped, but just looked at each other and I looked at Bianca and I said, I wanna sell everything we own and move into a tiny house, which we all know it's super simple, of <laughs> course. <laughs> we were both totally on, on board and then that sparked a six month journey into finding out okay where do we go how do we do this uh, and it was such an amazing part of, of the journey at first we wanted to live in in a yurt which is what we had most uh, the most experience with and then we looked at converted rvs uh, we looked at shell builds diy builds and finally we landed on a tiny house on wheels an 8x30 tiny house on, on wheels that we found on kijiji of all places which I think the equivalent of that in in the states is kind of like Craigslist, which was just so crazy, but it was exactly what we needed, and and the rest is history.
1: Wow! So, can you talk a bit about that decision making process? Like, you know, why why not a yurt? Why not an RV? Um, yeah, maybe you could talk about that.
2: Yeah, sure. Honestly, uh, if all of the decisions that we made were. Mitigating our our finances, um, so we owned our condo and we had to sell the condo to obtain the the funds to to purchase. So honestly, um, and I'm sure a lot of people who are embarking on this, it, it's a financial strain even to purchase a tiny house. And whether that's outright or financing, um, we didn't have the luxury of having a big chunk of cash. So we we had to really follow the steps of okay, so are we going to Finance this? Can we pull money from our mortgage and our equity? Uh, And the answer was no on that. So, you know, we just said, okay, well, what what are is the realistic and most practical way we can do this? And then we took a huge risk by uh, landing on just selling the condo, getting out of the market, which everyone told us, "You are psycho for doing. You're crazy." Our realtor told us we were psycho. Everyone said, you know, this is a huge risk, but I mean. Look at us now. The the, the greatest things in life have to come with the greatest risk. So I think it's just a matter of looking at what your personal situation is. And once we sold the condo, we that those funds were released, and we we had a written agreement with the gentleman who built it, and that was um, kind of the blood oath (laughs) that uh, that led us to to sell the house. And um, and then once those funds were released, we we decided. Uh, or sorry we purchased the house but um we had to eliminate a bunch of different smaller dwelling options uh, because of that so um, if we were to purchase a manufactured build then we would have had to finance that we'd have to have a chunk of money that we put down and we just weren't in that financial position so yeah definitely finances and uh we're a part of it and yeah
0: and, and also the the environment that we're in of course um, we're in ontario so we have four seasons and RV just wasn't in the cards for us, I think, mostly because of the lack of insulation that we were finding. So we needed something a little sturdier. A year was out of the question because if it's a permanent dwelling, we needed to have something that was that was on wheels that, that wasn't permanent. So we landed on, on our tiny house on wheels, which is um, the exterior is made out of cedar. It's got pine interior, uh, fully insulated. Um, it's got 11-foot ceilings. For me as a tall guy that that was also a big plus so yeah
2: lots of things go into it for us a, a big thing was insurance if we couldn't get this place insured we were not going to purchase it and so i called 50 60 70 plus insurance companies and finally we we, we found insurance and people just said uh you know this isn't really a thing people aren't living in tiny houses so there really is not a market for it and my response to them was well you just wait <laughs> Yeah. And so finally someone believed in us and their underwriters believed in us and, and we gained insurance. So that was important to have a temporary structure that could be insured as a permanent structure when started.
1: Yeah. Now is that insurance agency is that a name you'd be willing to share? Because I know we have a lot of Canadian listeners and, and I'm sure that is a need beyond just just you. Of
2: course. So I did respond to this gentleman um, and asking if it was okay if I shared that because I'm hoping to help other people in the area, especially in Ontario, move tiny. And um, that's one of the biggest steps to get get us there. So uh, we were insured by the cooperators, uh, which is one of the biggest insurance businesses, companies out there. And so this was a a subset of the cooperators. So there are major Major buildings and businesses, uh, but some of them are owned uh, and operated specifically by an individual. And and that was, if anyone is interested, they, they're more than welcome to direct message me, and I can hook them up with that. And so uh, there were a lot of stipulations, and there was a lot of back and forth, and a lot of red tape, and a lot of things that we had to we had to take the wheels off, we had to skirt different things like that that not a lot of people would be okay with because they want to be mobile, but unfortunately, there is a reason for red tape. So that's kind of something yeah. that people are going to have to consider as well. But yeah.
3: yeah.
0: And, and one of the big hurdles that was working against us was that uh, the tiny house that we bought was a DIY build. It was built by licensed contractors, electricians, plumbers, everything is totally legit, except it was a DIY build. It wasn't built by a company. It wasn't manufactured by a company in a uh, climate-controlled space. So that was the hurdle that we kept trying to to get over. That was really uh, roadblocking our success in getting it insured. So it is a lot harder to get those DIY tiny houses insured.
1: So I'm actually I'm curious about something you said a little bit earlier about about the financing. Did the owner or the the former owner of your tiny house are they kind of holding the paper on on that loan? And and maybe you could talk about if you're willing to share, you know, how that is structured, because, you know, as you mentioned, it's extremely difficult to finance a tiny house. And um, my last interview, actually, so that'll be with Christy Wolf, who um, she'll probably be the episode right before this one, talked about how all the land she's ever bought, she's had the owner basically hold the paper on the loan for her. Um. So she's never had to use like traditional financing. So maybe you could talk about how you you arrange that with your tiny house.
2: Yeah. So uh, the tiny house again. It was it was basically a cash sale. To make a very long story short. So we had written um, an agreement and signed that online. That once our house was sold and the closing date released the funds from the house, then we would pay by money order to to the to the owner. And so that day came and it took a couple of days to go through, but it was pure cash. So we used the profits from our, our home sale in, uh, directly towards it. So uh, no, there, there's no loan holding or anything. Okay. Um, we don't have a mortgage loan or anything in mind.
1: Got it. Got it. Okay. So, so you, you bought your tiny house. Congratulations. And then of course, everything worked out perfectly from there. No, no troubles, nothing, right?
2: Yes. So we had it towed around 670 or so kilometers from rural Quebec. Finding a tow company to tow it was difficult. It's about 14 feet high from uh is it base to top? 13. And so the it, it's a little it's a built a little bit higher than the road would allow if the transportation would allow safely. So the, also the, the trick with the DIY build is um, you, you should really have someone go out and inspect it. And we did go see the house, but we are, I mean, I can, I can hammer a nail, but <laughs> I can't inspect it to any house. What ended up happening was the wheel, the floorboards were built too close to the wheel well, and the wheel was burning onto the wood. And so the tire blew in around the Toronto, greater Toronto area. And so uh, it was It was about 30, 50 kilometers to home and the tire blew. I was on the side of the road in the middle of the night and we ended up having to get an OPP escort because it ends straight to the bottom of the bridge. Once it was put on a different tow truck, then it was put on a float, then it was brought to a parking lot. Then we paid $7,000 to have it towed home. <laughs> so it was awesome.
0: It was awful. I think that's the word you meant to use. i <laughs> Yeah, I mean, after all that six months of planning, it was, it uh, was, it was heartbreaking to see our tiny house on the side of the road on a long weekend, mind you. It was a long traffic time. everywhere, cop lights flashing, and uh, we just we were just in disbelief. We sold everything and took this huge jump, and now it's sitting on the side of the road in in, in almost a state of disrepair, but. It was really a testament to what we're capable of yes. as a couple, and we had friends come out and help us. Uh, of course, everything closed on the day that that uh, that we needed a spare tire, we needed all this equipment. So, long story short, it finally got here, and almost broke us. Wow! wow. Um, those are just the things you can't plan for. Those things, right? When you take these type of risks, unfortunately, those are the
3: things that come with it.
1: Wow, that's that's quite the harrowing story. You know any maybe i don't know if there is any way for people to avoid experiences like that but you know do you have any advice for people based on that experience you know about transporting a tiny house or or buying a used tiny house that's that's not near them
0: absolutely my my biggest thing is get everything in writing be super clear about every little detail that you can possibly Imagine it was hard for us because Bianca mentioned it was coming from Quebec, so there was a little bit of a language barrier. Or French isn't too great, and neither is their English, so that was working against us. But um, get it, you know, if you have anyone that you know that's a that's a home inspector or or is handy, of course, always always go out and, and inspect the the house before you build in every little square inch. Think of as many things as you can, get as many pictures, uh, walk around it with the owners multiple times, and we did that. But it was hard to plan for a pop tire. But yeah. um, just get those things in writing so that everything's clear and you protect yourself.
2: Make sure that your tow company has insurance. Make sure that you, the house is insured when it lands on your property. You unfortunately can't insure, at least as we were told, you can't insure the house on the road. So the second it's road-bound, uh, especially in, in Canada and in Ontario specifically, I know the laws change but it's not insured on the road. So uh, that's why the tow company having insurance is really important. Yeah, again, yeah, you're right. Make sure you have everything in writing. Make sure you've done your due diligence and just be very clear and don't let the dream of the tiny house bog your ability to make those super hard choices. And at the end of the day, if you have to say no to a DIY build, uh, you're just fine.
1: Yeah. So I'm curious, transitioning to kind of the idea of you know, living closer to the outdoors, which certainly a tiny house forces you to do just by nature of, of the small space. But I'm curious, you know, while you were, you know, during the six month period, while you were, you know, dreaming and planning for your tiny house, were you also planning for where you were going to park it and what that was going to look like?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was the first step. I mean, we came up with this light bulb like idea that we're going to sell everything. And uh, okay, great. Now where are we going to put it? And um, we just so happened to know a very good friend of ours who has six acres of of land here in, in Ontario, and um, it's just an absolutely beautiful property. It has forests, creeks, meadows, ponds. It's just a beautiful land. And we approached uh, this friend with. Um, not a contract, but a proposal, a proposal on becoming the land, the stewards of the land. So this land, it has chickens, there's bees here, there's there's um, a few kilometers of, of trails in, in, in the area. So we approached it from a land steward standpoint, whereas we could help maintain the property. I've spent a lot of years here, both working and for personal. and. We thought we could help out with managing the property in in return for a place to park the tiny house. And um, I remember having that conversation with him, and I I slid this proposal across the table and started getting into my whole spiel. He's like, I know you want to move the tiny house here and you want to look after the property, let's do it. So he didn't even go to page one after all that hard work. But um, that was the first step, and that kind of gave us the green light to really embark on that six months journey planning. What's this tiny house look like? So here we are.
1: So what is that what does that look like? Like what does a land store do? Like what yeah?
0: That's a great question. So so far, um, we've been managing bees. We have two beehives. Um, last year we got over 50 pounds of honey. So it's it's managing the wildflower gardens, taking care of the bees. We have chickens that we both raise for for meat and uh, for egg laying production. So looking after after that, of course, any maintenance that has to be done on, on the property and that can um, uh, go from cutting grass to maintaining the gravel driveway. And there's a long gravel driveway that's just a constant state of there. almost. <laughs> so that keeps us busy. Snow plow removal. We have sugar maples on, on site and we have a little sugar shack that we do maple syrup production in. So, and, and the community is very highly involved in, in this piece of property. So it's, organizing people to come out and do wildflower planting wildflower gardens um removing invasive species planting um, wildflowers as i said bird boxes um yeah it's a never-ending list but that's the that's the gist of it
1: that sounds like it it could be a full-time job in itself yes
2: (laughs) it's it's pretty intense but it's um it's taught us a great lesson on self-reliance and community and living closer to nature. And I can't tell you how incredible it has been to watch our toddler be there for all of that and enjoy all the purposeful work. And, and you know, that's definitely something that has been such a, it's been the greatest trade-off I think we could have ever imagined. And so taking care of the property is, is um, just such a, we have a lot of gratitude for it.
0: And we're also getting into, uh, we're embarking on a permaculture journey, which I know that you talked about a lot about in your last episode. So that's something completely new. And that's just kind of adding to our workload a little bit more, but we really strongly believe in permaculture in, in and um, sustainable sustenance. We also have a greenhouse now that Bianca is kind of managing. As we said, we're in a four-season season country. So we need to keep those crops going through the winter. So we have a a big greenhouse operation here.
2: Yeah. And for those listening, uh, 60% of all of the things that we've embarked on being land stewards, we had no idea what we were doing when we started. And that has been the greatest adventure. And so for those who are thinking, okay, well, that sounds like a lot, and there's zero way that I would ever be able to take that on. The answer is yes, you absolutely can. It's been such a journey.
1: Nice. What do you think that this is a, temp, a potential template for other people looking for tiny house parking, like kind of finding businesses or schools or, or people who own land and, and saying like, hey, let us live here and and be a land stored in exchange for letting us live here in our tiny house.
2: Oh my goodness, yes. So this is actually, <laughs> you laid that out so perfectly for me, thank you. Um, this is kind of a model that I've been looking into in earnest. And um, so one of the things that you can consider in that model is that the the amount of residents or people over the age of 65 far outweighs the amount of people between the ages of zero and 14. So the aging population, they're sitting on beautiful pieces of property that they purchased, you know, in the in the 50s and the 60s. And later, and so they they're having a hard time now taking care of those properties, and and the formula that that everyone is living by is is to downsize into condos for those people. So the quality of life in that regard sometimes is is not ideal. So what we're seeing is, is a lot of people who want to remain on their property and want to remain remain with that quality of life, but they they just you know as age comes, they're not able to take care of it. So what we have found, there are a lot of people who, who really want someone to just come in and, and help them. And that model of living is so beautiful because that, that can almost eliminates for a lot of people in a lot of cities, the need for urban sprawl and the need for the, you know, building out and building up. And so why are we not utilizing the space that we already have That's just one of the models of sustainable living? And so for me specifically, I'm pushing municipalities and I'm, I'm doing a lot of kind of underground work pushing um, municipalities and city planners to change the bylaws to allow secondary dwellings on primary pieces of property. And uh, whether it's tiny houses on wheels, it's a little more difficult. A lot of municipalities that are changing their bylaws are only allowing secondary permanent structures, but they can be small. And that opens up a, t- a completely new avenue for sustainable living and sustainable building in the circular economy and and everything that is beautiful about, you know, all of the new businesses that are popping up in, 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 in combat of climate change. So in terms of land steward opportunities for people who are living in tiny house, it's almost a match made in heaven because those who are looking to live tiny and really do it and really understand how to do it and understand what true minimalism is and 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 living closer to nature they're going to be the ones who are going to succeed in taking care of properties and bringing properties back to you know this biodiversity and 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 building the um the ecology around it so it it really is a match made in heaven and and think about how many properties are out there and the people who live there are are again they're aging and they don't want to leave so yeah beautiful huge opportunity there
1: do you know of any um channels or like I'm thinking like websites or organizations that, that try to pair like older, older people or landowners with, with caretakers?
2: I am struggling to find that it's such a niche, um, and very kind of new concept. You know, we're, we're, we're still struggling with people just thinking about living differently anyway, that that is something I'm working on. I do have a few friends who are who who work in that realm as well uh, we have a friend who's part of the naturalist club and uh, a lot of their members are members with big pieces of property who have some land who would be interested in this type of exchange but the approach you really need to have time to to pre- prepare that approach proposal um, to and then finding people who can fit the bill of tiny house living because pairing people with owners can it, it's almost like you're running a property management business and so uh, the work is there, and I'm definitely very interested in doing that, and I've already been doing that on a, on a completely small scale, but there's, um, yeah, I don't know of anything specifically, but um, I do know some avenues you can
1: follow. I'm curious, uh, you mentioned something before, which is great advice, which is to always to get everything in writing. And I was curious, how do you how do you structure this kind of arrangement? Because with all the tasks that you mentioned, I could imagine that that there could be times where you end up feeling like an indentured servant. So, like, do you do you have a certain number of hours per week that you're like, you know, contractually obligated to work, or that up to a certain amount? Like, how does it? How do you structure that that agreement when you're doing something for free, but it's like a barter?
0: That's a great question. Um, it all starts with trust. It's not. Um... You know, you really have to have a really open, honest, and sometimes it's hard to be honest uh, on both ends, on both the uh, from the, the older end, and for us too to have those open, honest conversations. But we meet weekly, sometimes uh, two or three times weekly, and talk about what's going on the property, what what it needs, and it's just keeping those lines of communication open and being and being honest. Like, yeah, this is getting a little bit too much. So some, sometimes there's weeks the go by and, and life is good. There's not really a lot going on in like November and December when there's no snow and no bees and that kind of thing. And then everything kind of picks up again at, at, towards this time of year and in the spring and in the fall and all. So it fluctuates. You have to, it's all about balance as, as well too and, and being open and honest. And Bianca and I uh, have a really good rapport with, with scheduling our, ourselves.
2: I also also think you, you can look at it at trust is a really great word, but, uh, and for us specifically, we we're living on this property and treating it as if it were our own. So I think a land steward for me, it's not a work exchange. I am, I feel a sense of ownership over this property. I feel a sense of home ownership a over my house because i i know how my toilet works and i know how my plumbing works and i know all of those great things and that you as as a fellow tiny house owner and those listening will will know that the the sense of home ownership you have over owning tiny is so great but this land you know we treat it as our own and that's something that a lot of people are are shying away from and and not necessarily through purpose uh that being purposeful but certainly a fear of of what they're what they're doing and how they're living but in terms of land stewardship, yeah, it, it, uh, it's important that you have that background with someone and or you have a trial run with them or some kind of model. It's not going to be perfect. You, you just have to be a really good person. You have to vet people. Uh, it's almost like you would be doing a job interview for sure. Um, and, you know, you need to be a good judge of character. And, and there certainly could be people, I mean, like myself, who would be willing to help mitigate that. But if you're if you're embarking on this journey, you you are a certain of a certain type, and so or sorry, of a certain mindset, and so I think that 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 exchange is just it's kind of already written in the stars. But yeah, again, for us, I mean, we the property feels like it's ours, even though you know we we might not own it, and so that's that's a big deal.
0: Yeah, it's also about giving back to the environment. We live in a pretty environmentally sensitive area, so. Um, home, home ownership and land ownership or, or sorry, land ownership in particular is kind of a weird term for us. We're just trying to give back as much as we can from from living on the land.
3: Yeah. We're
0: just trying to give back uh, what's best for the invasive or sorry the 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 species that are here. So just doing what's in the best interest of, of the land too, not necessarily within our best interest or the interest of the of the landowner. It's really what the property needs. And um, very
2: inspired by Indigenous ancestry and teachings and, and just, you know, giving back to the land more than you take from it.
1: Cool. And so you've brought all that kind of into this this arrangement. And I think it's, it's clear that you're really intentional, that you've been really intentional about it. How does this... Um, it seems like you you do things in a very mindful way, and so I'm curious how how your your child is involved in this, and how you see their their kind of role in caring for the land as, as they grow. Oh, it's...
0: I'm so pumped! You asked that question; I get to talk about it. I mean, when we look,
1: and I mean, people. I ask this, like also, like knowing people you know right now we're talking you know everybody in the world is home and people who are like literally going out of their minds that they're home with their toddler 7 days a week um so you are living in a situation where you're voluntarily like yeah I'm home with my toddler 7 days a week so like how how are you how does that work how do you do it without going crazy and and yeah
2: it, well <laughs> as I don't not always go crazy right. um, but with with Bodhi he I mean he's just over the age of two, so anyone who has children knows how what a great uh time for development that is, and he is he absolutely loves loves it here he finds so much uh, excitement out of the purposeful work of the property and so specifically for the way. Um, the way that we've raised him in different, uh, we're looking for philosophies that we put into our parenting. I, Justin's a Montessori teacher. We believe uh, in the Montessori curriculum. But Bodhi does go to a Montessori uh, toddler program, and so it's all about the prepared environment. So for him, he has everything that he could possibly need to just to 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 stimulate, to develop, to learn, and so. We we very patient and we just let him follow along with us. So when we wake up, we go out and we, you know, refill bird feeders right now. It's a lot of uh, just kind of sitting on our hands waiting for, for the property to, you know, allowing life to come back and things to to regenerate and, and trying hard not to touch a lot, <laughs> even though you want to get to work. So Bodie's picking up sticks for fires that we have every day to burn the maple syrup or <laughs> burn the maple syrup to sap <laughs> to make that um you know he is uh, going around the property and searching for bugs and searching for salamanders and watching the birds and different things so he's whatever we're doing he wants to do and so that's a huge 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 um kind of point in terms of what people can be doing at home now and there there's this whole philosophy of you know we need to do everything for our children we'll prepare their meals we'll make better bed we'll clean their rooms and there's a sense of ownership over that independent work for, for children to do themselves. And so right now is a really great time to to flip the switch in terms of if you're finding yourself overwhelmed as a parent, which we all do, and especially being stuck in whatever quarters you're stuck in, there can be so much purposeful work that you can do. And children only want to be doing what you're doing, especially at that young tender age when it gets a little tougher when they get older. And sometimes maybe they just want to, you know, zone out on the TV or play some some gangs, but there is no time like the present. The world has gifted us time in the world's worst wrapped present. And so, so I think that surviving at home and is, is a lot about unlearning the way that we've done things. And it's going to take a long time for some people. And it might be really difficult right off the get-go, but those gifts you can give them, especially with Bodhi, he can, we can, you know, stimulate him for however long we, we, we want to teach him something. And then we, he plays by himself, uh, you know, for hours on end and, and finds activities. And that, that's just a testament to not just providing him with six acres of land, you know, because not everyone has access to that opportunity, but just building that sense of independence. And so anyone at home who was listening, who was chomping at the bit <laughs> to find things to do with their, their children. Um, it's, it's honestly all about shoving the toys away and turning off the screens and getting, stop preparing, stop setting things up. You don't need all of this, you know, you don't need to order a ton of crafts on Amazon and all of the things, all you need to do is, you know, just take a step back, take a breath and just spend time as a family and do all of the purposeful work that you don't want to do, but you can all do it together.
1: Yeah. And that's, I mean, I don't, I don't have children we don't have children yet um but i think that that's an interesting observation you know just not buying all the stuff but just doing the work together because ultimately like it sounds like you both have a lot of work that you need to get done so um bodhi i'm i'm guessing has adapted and become more independent because you're not always like available to curate his experience
2: exactly yeah and i mean on the other end of the spectrum you know for the parents that are listening the the breath you take when your children are are playing solo is so great and knowing that maybe they're doing something that out of boredom insights adventure might feel a lot better than just them unplugging in front of a screen so i think you know it 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 feels better and, and you're overwhelmed and dissipate if you can set it up in that way
1: nice well, one thing that I like to ask all of my guests is what are two or three resources um, that helped you out along on your tiny house journey that you'd like to share with our listeners? You? <laughs>
3: I appreciate Definitely. Yeah.
2: Well, we appreciate it.
0: Everybody who's thinking about planning, building, or living the tiny lifestyle needs to buy tiny house decisions for sure. That, that was such a well-laid-out resource pack that we went through step-by-step. Step. I'll give you all the free advertising in the world. <laughs> it, it definitely helped us along the way. There's just so much information out there. And all, that resource is just everything that you need to make that dream happen. There is my book that I didn't bring in. Um, I really like, and this this is a classic, and I don't know if it does, if it has to do specifically with planning and building a tiny house, but Walden Pond by Henry David Thoreau is a really great
3: resource, classic resource for
0: us, I think, especially in terms of land stewardship and and, and Seeing the land throughout the seasons and, and getting into that mindset, and that's one thing that um I don't know if we touched on, but getting into that mindset of living tiny is so important to live it and, and to and to read about it that kind of thing. You know, you see a lot of these tiny house shows on on Netflix and that kind of thing, and, and they're pretty exciting. But to really live tiny, you need to have that right mindset if you're going to make it work and um honestly if, if you have a chance to read which we all do now have some chance to read there's mm-hmm. walled in by henry D- david Thoreau. there's another book
3: called i'm just gonna look it up now it's called it's okay go for it Retro suburbia wait what is it
2: it's called uh, Retro Suburbia. Sorry, if you yeah,
0: it's called Retro Suburbia: The Downshifters' Guide to a Resilient Future, and it's a book by David Holmgren, who is actually one of the founders, co-founders of the permaculture movement. And that book has been instrumental in, in giving us ideas um, about. How to live sustainably? How to metrofit our tiny house to make it warmer, make it cooler? Um, talks about gardening. Um, mm. it, it literally talks about everything, and it is, uh, and it has been an invaluable resource for us uh, along the way.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think it, Justin touched on this mindset. You're your you're your best friend when it comes to making this type of lifestyle change, uh, or or maybe not a change but transition and. Um, so you just need to follow your gut. You need to ask yourself the right questions, the who, what, where, when, and why's of your life. And once you start challenging convention and, and, you know, taking risks, then you can really find yourself on a very beautiful path. And so that you're, you're definitely your best resource, but, uh, start there and you will, you'll find yourself in a really great place.
1: Nice. Well, Justin and Bianca Metz, Thank you so much for, for being guests on the show. It was really, it was great to connect and it sounds like you're just living an awesome lifestyle. So congratulations. Thank you.
2: Thank,
0: Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much, Ethan. It was an honor to be on your show. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much to Bianca and Justin Metz for being guests on the show today. You can find the show notes, including links to their website and photos of their beautiful tiny house at thetinyhouse.net slash 112. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 112. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.